This week I was uh, in a conversation with someone about church, and I said, I believe in the idea of church. Means I've lived through beauty and pain of church. Um, but this song, Call It Dreamin', for me is a song that resonates or vibes with part of that hope and that belief and that longing that it would be a place where we can pray because our hearts are strong enough. And for all the love that you've left behind, you can have mine. Will you pray with me? God, for all the ways that we come this morning, for the joys, the pains, the longings, the hopes, the dreams, might you meet us in the midst of all these places and all of these things that we might know life more fully and that we might live it. In your name, amen. Uh, whether it's your first time here or you've been coming for quite some time, uh, you may note that as you came in, if you're in person or if you're with us online, there's a link for a worship guide. And every week, we not only have what's going to be happening in the service, but when it comes to the songs, um, one of the leaders of the music for the Sundays who's picked the songs and or some of us will put in thoughts or things that come up for us because you'll notice I'm sure for you different pieces connect and then there's always a wonder in there and so for this last song for instance Julia had put in just some of her own thoughts about uh, connecting with the theme for today and that sense of the song hinting at the beauty found in embracing the struggles in life and so she's talking about her own journey with that and then inviting us to wonder. And so just encourage you week to week to take a look at that and see if anything pops up or percolates and hope you take that as an invitation of God just uh, in the midst of this space where we're together. So uh, as you've been hearing, we're talking about Philippians. And Philippians is a letter that was written to a church community by Paul. And uh, in this church community, it seemed to be a community where there was a lot of things that were going right uh, from Paul's perspective, that he was really happy about this community, he trusted them a lot, and he's really writing them a letter to encourage them. The moment that we've come to in this part of the letter, he's naming that there's clearly a conflict that's going on. He names and addresses that, and then uh, turns to this idea of rejoicing and the invitation and call to that. And so we'll journey through that a little bit together today. Um, but I wanted to start off by talking in conversation with this passage about one of my first classes when I was in seminary. So it was a spiritual formation class, which was about our own personal growth and development. And the professor had kind of the classroom expectations, which many of you may recall or know from your own experience of school, where it's like, we're going to um, be generous in the way that we hear one another, like what's said in this space stays in this space, or things of that nature, like we'll refrain from judging each other and choose curiosity, these sorts of things. So one of the things on this list was we will give and presume welcome give and presume welcome. Now, 24-year-old Sarah didn't know what to do with this line and didn't like it very much. And part of that was because I was profoundly unsure if I was welcome. I was a female Master of Divinity student at a seminary where women couldn't be pastors. 
And I was like, well, I know I'm not welcome by some folks in this space, so what am I supposed to do with this? Why is this my deal? Like, that's not my deal. What am I supposed to do with this? But you know some of those things, and maybe this doesn't happen to you, but it's something that got in your craw, and then you actually keep thinking about it, you know, like 15 years later or something, right? This was one of those things for me. And it was a sense of, um, I was like, okay, I clearly must be missing something. Because I don't think my professor is just telling me to shut up and get over it, right? She's like very, very, she's a therapist and she's one of those very like thoughtful people. And so I didn't think good therapeutic practice was just shut up and be okay in my class. So I kept sitting with it. What does it mean to give and presume welcome even when I know that I'm not? What does that mean? I was thinking about that in terms of this passage and I wanted to make a few connection points. Some of you may have engaged with, in your life, the idea of attachment theory. Some of you may have worked with this in your own therapy. You may have uh, studied it in school. Attachment theory is a psychological concept uh, that was developed through the work, particularly of Ainsley and Bowlby. And what they did was they looked at, uh, the research started actually with mothers and children and looking at the way that those initial bonds that we have in our home impact if we believe we are safe and at home and okay in the world or not. And so they studied this, and this has been a major field in psychology up until today. Many therapists will help to support our growth in being able to feel safe and at home in the world if some of us don't feel that way right now. So this whole, this looks at the way our earliest years, birth to two years, and how our caregiver responds to us, shapes how we show up in the world. Do we believe we'll get what we need? Do we believe we'll be responded to or not? And this imprint is really deep. We can heal it, we can work on it, but it tends to impact us. So I'm going to come back to this theory as we're going through this verse and these verses here and the call in Philippians. But this idea of giving and presuming welcome. And what happens if you're a person who isn't sure if you're welcome or who learned you weren't welcome to show up as your true self? Maybe some of you will recall things from growing up like, why can't you be more like fill in the blank of your sibling's name? Um, or the sense that, oh, no girls allowed, or boys this, or whatever it was, the sense of though you learned, I can't show this part of myself. Maybe, maybe negatively, or maybe positively, you started helping out with things, and then you became the helper. And then your whole life, you were just the helper. And you're like, I mean, I like helping, but I don't think this is the only thing. And who am I if I don't want to help? So maybe some of these might be resonating. Um, if it's not resonating, I just invite you to get curious, thinking about your own story. Do you feel like you can show up as yourself in the world? Are you being authentic? Kind of who are you inside? Is that resonant with how you're showing up in the world? Okay. So this sense of giving and presuming welcome are feeling at home and safe in the world or not. I'm gonna connect this with one more piece that connects with the first part of this passage. I remember when I was 20, 
one years old, and I was at a Jennifer Knapp concert. Anybody? Any Jennifer? Oh, all like four of you. Five? I see those hands. Okay, we're getting up to 10. This is like a good auction. Can I hear 15? 15. Uh, Jennifer Knapp is a Christian music artist. Uh, who was a big deal in the like late 90s, mid through like the mid 2000s. Uh, so now I've dated myself. Um, and <laughs> for those of you who are like, oh, that's kind of dated. I could go back to Honey Tree for any of you from the 70s. Um, but uh, Jennifer Knapp, it was a Christian music artist. And I saw her in concert with Bebo Norman, a few of you, um, who I had a crush on, and I was really mad at Jennifer Knapp, I noticed during this concert. And I recognized that I felt something that felt suspiciously like hatred, or jealousy at least, if we're going to clean it up a little bit. And I was really curious about what was that about. And I realized it was because Jennifer Knapp was doing something that I thought I couldn't. She was on stage in front of a group of people talking about her faith and life. And I resented that she got to do that. And I felt like I had to be someone different. Anybody ever had an experience like that where someone's doing something you wish you could be doing? Okay, thank you. Thank you for the solidarity. Um, I say that to say, as we come to this first part of the passage, and you look at these verses, um, one, uh, one through three especially, now we don't know what was going on in the midst of the conflict. We don't know exactly why these women were at odds. I'm not sure what was happening. But I'm just aware that I know in my own story and experience that oftentimes when I'm in a kind of protracted conflict, Oftentimes, what's at the core of it has something to do with my ability to give and presume welcome and, and how that is reciprocated or not. And how are we relating to one another out of a sense of, do I believe I'm safe, I have enough, I'm held, I'm loved, I'm seen, and I matter just as you do? Now, I say this particularly just, I don't, again, I don't know what's going on in this. But I wonder when those sorts of broken spaces happen, what's going on inside of each of us that makes us not see each other or be in this sort of place where there's this conflict? So I just wonder about that in verses one through three. We have this conflict that's happening, and there's an invitation to the community to help them um, to be able to be in this space together. And I wonder sometimes when that happens, What's all going on that's impacting that? Is it just the interpersonal dynamic? And if it's interpersonal, why? What's going on in me? What's going on in you that's preventing us from being able to see each other, uh, even whether it's in the midst of difference or whether it's just in the midst of relationship and not understanding one another? Because I find that when I'm grounded in who I am and knowing I'm loved and safe, and good and I'm breathing well, it's a lot easier for me to extend that welcome and to navigate even really challenging dynamics or conversations. But then sometimes even the structures themselves don't allow for people to get along. So it made me think about, for instance, um, some of you may be aware that in the history of women's rights that there was a perceived fight and actual fight sometimes between the stay-at-home mom and the working mom, right? Like, 
there actually probably wasn't that much of a conflict between a lot of the folks, but it was a sense of some who were fighting for public space and saying, hey, let me work, and they're fighting against it. Meanwhile, someone's major identity is I'm staying at home, and suddenly they're fighting against each other when that's not the fight, <laughs> right? Like the fight is actually how can we all be more free to be who we are? So I don't know what's going on exactly in this community, but there's a sense that there's a word spoken to the community and I wonder if there's something happening structurally in the community that's impacting their disagreement um, and why Paul is encouraging them to be able to support these women. So we continue on in the passage. It goes through verses 4 to 7. And this is where we come to the rejoice piece. And this is, again, where I want to come back to this idea of attachment theory. It says, rejoice in the Savior always. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see your forbearing spirit. The, sp the Savior is near. Um, some of you may, I'm going all psychological concepts on you today, so I forgive me. <laughs> um, some of you may have heard of the idea of spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing is the idea that um, faith can become something where we encounter something difficult within our own psyche, within the world, and our faith, we kind of push the faith button, and then we don't have to deal with it. It goes away, right? Well, it, the problem doesn't actually go away, right? The anxiety doesn't just go away. My anger doesn't just go away. The problems from my life don't just get swept under the rug and never come back sideways and haunt us. <laughs> they do. And so spiritual bypassing is the idea that when as people of faith, we sometimes use our faith to not deal with things that are more challenging or with tougher emotions. And um, so because so here's what, how I could come to you this morning and preach. Rejoice! Rejoice! <laughs> Why aren't you rejoicing? Rejoice! Right? That would be a really annoying sermon in that tenor of voice from me. Um, right? Um, but what does it mean, A, that there is sometimes right this call to rejoice? And like, I'm not feeling it right now. But there's something there, there's an invitation. But also, what if it's naming a deeper truth of faith? That instead of faith being something that just is like, oh, I'm joyful all the time, it's that because I know what it is to go into the harder emotions and things, knowing God is with me, knowing I am safe, knowing I am held, knowing God is the one who's going to care for me no matter what, it allows me to breathe a little bit more and to deal with that stuff so I can actually know what joy feels like in my body. Okay. So I don't know if this is making sense or connecting, but the sense of rejoicing or the call here, not just being, a, I'm going to beat you up with joy. I got my joy baton, everybody get ready. But that faith is fundamentally that which heals us and holds us and helps us to know we're safe so that no matter what happens, we actually know what it means to say, I've encountered the monsters and I wasn't alone. I can rejoice. Because I know that kind of life where God has been with me in the midst of this. This is where, um, for me, in so many ways, in the last number of years, I've started to think about um, Jesus and the good news of Jesus being the call to us to come home. That fundamentally, throughout our lives, some of us, you have amazing families you came from. Some of us, our families were more complicated. 
but that this call to follow Jesus is the call for us to fundamentally come fully home. So right in the story of the Christian Bible, we start off in Genesis. The people are walking in the garden with God and one another, and they're not afraid, right? They're naked and not afraid, and they're not ashamed. And then suddenly there's brokenness, and they're like, got to get some clothes on. Don't want to be vulnerable. This is really bad. I'm better than God. We got it all. It's all bad. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, you were meant to walk in the garden, We were meant to walk together. Like, come on home. Know you're safe. Know you're healed. Quit fighting the fights of ego and uh, with one another and live at peace. Know this joy. Come on home. Know the way of God. And so in so many ways, this sense of connection of if the healing work psychology tells us about is attachment healing, Jesus as the fundamental healer is helping us all to get home to know that we can give and presume welcome because we've been fully welcomed as who we are. So this is the sense then that as Paul's writing about here in verses four through seven, that this is the rejoicing. It's the forbearing spirit. The spirit's near. You're going to be okay. Keep going. Keep going. And then he invites them to keep and us to keep living into it. In verses eight and nine, he says, finally, Your thoughts should be directed toward all that is true, that deserves respect, that's honest, pure, decent, admirable, virtuous, worthy of praise. Live according to what you have learned and accepted, what you've heard me say and seen me do, and then the peace of God will be with you. So, right, he keeps inviting them deeper into that work to keep going, to let ourselves continue to be healed and transformed and changed. And this is where the call of faith isn't like an external regime. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's rejoice in the Lord. And the invitation and the living of that good news that keeps transforming us internally. Right? And so that as we're changed, as we keep knowing ourselves more fully as seen and loved and cared for by a God who doesn't fail, who will always show up, who is always for us, it heals us more deeply so that hopefully we can then extend that welcome more deeply to one another and we can bear witness to joy, to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me tell you what it's felt like and what it means to know how in the midst of the hardest moments of my life, I can tell you about how God has been present and the work of healing God is doing in my life. And then we tell those stories to one another and we seek to create then more space and more welcome for everyone to be able to live from that kind of an overflow. Thank you. I'll I'll take that. Thanks. Um, So I just hope that, I hope indeed that um, whatever your story and whatever you're holding, A, I hope that like the invitation and call of faith can be one that helps you to know more fully that you're at home and that you're invited and called to live there and to be there as who you are. And that that is part of the gift and the wonder of God's work and spirit in the world. Where then we don't have to fight with one another because there aren't scarce resources. There's enough love for all of us to take up our space and to be people who live at home and extend that home to one another.